Welcome everyone to Spirited Discussions. I am your host, Lachlan Watt, a passionate alcoholic and alcohol educator with years of experience in both the spirits and bar industries. Throughout this series, we are going to explore the history and production of some of our favorite vibations, and in each episode, I'll be joined by an incredibly experienced guest. Together, we will delve into a topic with all of the information that you need to understand why you enjoy what you're drinking, as well as some fun tidbits to share with your friends. I'm so looking forward to taking you on this journey to discover the wonderful world of alcohol. Welcome everyone to our very first episode of Spirited Discussions. I'm so excited to share with you all of these incredible spirits that we're going to talk about through this series. This is our first episode of this brand new podcast. And today I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Luke McCarthy, and we're going to explore the history of Australian spirits. Welcome. Mate, thank you so much for having me. It's super exciting to be here on one of your first episodes. Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for Thank you me. very much. If you don't mind, I'll just get you to rattle off some of uh, your time in this industry and how you came to be in the position you're in currently. Yeah, so I effectively started in bars, but before and sort of during uh, my early bartending days, I was writing and studied writing and publishing and literature and history and things like that. So at any opportunity that I got uh, in my bar career, I was writing and then was eventually approached by publications to yep. to produce some content for them um, in you know national publications for Fairfax Media here, uh, the Asian Sydney Morning Herald here in Australia. Um, and then, yeah, bizarrely enough, Whiskey and Arm at the bar that we both worked at it, um, together, I just kept getting opportunities from people coming into the bar. So, yeah. so the book, The Australian Spirits Guide that I wrote in 2016, um, that was an editor from Hardy Grant Media coming into coming into the bar and sort of, you know, we started chatting about spirits and whiskey and other things. And then they asked me if I wanted to publish a book from that conversation. And, you know, a lot of other opportunities that sort of came my way during that period sort of happened in and around Whiskey and Armour, which was, which was really incredible. It's actually incredible how many opportunities we get given over just chatting to people because just the passion that we all have for, for what we, what we do. So yeah, absolutely, it's really incredible. Cause I, I um, the Australian spirits guide that you wrote, uh, well, I'll actually backtrack a little bit. Um, you were actually one of the people that taught me a lot before I even started bartending. I remember coming into Whiskey and Element as a customer and it was yourself and Kelvin that educated me a lot behind the bar about what I was drinking and what I was tasting. And then I found out you released a book and not long after that I actually had the op- the incredible opportunity to work with you and and learn from you. And this is what led me to down the the rosy path of Australian spirits and it was such an incredible guide for me to and for everyone else about what Australia is producing and the the breadth of what we're doing in this country so it's absolutely incredible what you've what you've done with it as well yeah it's been fun man I think I I came I came upon it right at the at this moment where the Australian spirits industry is exploding you know as were other spirits industries all around the world um and yeah, I just consider myself to be incredibly lucky that we've got an incredible array of people here in Australia producing incredible spirits of all different type and style. Um, and yeah, it's basically my job just to get to know these people, tell their stories and then drink their fantastic booze. So uh, it's, it's been fun. It's a hard life, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> it keeps us honest. Um, so yeah, ever since then, um, and, you know, I, I suppose what we've been talking about personally a lot over the past two or three years is is the recent growth of the industry and where that's going to go and 
how Australia can hopefully become a player on the global stage and, and start to export spirit to people all over the world. So uh, that's that's the next big phase that I think everyone's excited about. Exactly. And we're starting to see that happen with, with certain players like Starwood and Four Pillars, right? They're, they're, they're breaking into markets all around the world. Um, Morris as well mm. because they've got those, all those beautiful channel uh, distribution channels that they built through their wine uh, production team as well. So... We're starting to see people recognize Australian spirit on that global stage, which is really, really exciting. And we want to see these distilleries grow to the point where they can provide for that global market. Yeah, definitely, mate. And that, I mean, look, you can't you can't take your hat off more to Starwood and Four Pillars. Uh, what Starwood has been able to do, especially recently in the US, has just been absolutely incredible. Um, you know, their wine cask influenced whiskies are finding a ready audience and, you know, Four Pillars are just absolute superstars. You know, yeah. Four Pillars are probably the top Australian spirits brand, I would argue, of the, of the last sort of 10 years. Um, you How know. many years have they won uh, oh. best uh, gin company in the world? I'm getting sick <laughs> of talking about Four Pillars. And awards. <laughs> I, just say, I just say to people, you know, they've won a lot of awards. Um, <laughs> uh, you should drink their stuff. It's great. But uh, as you would know as well, I think for me, especially from a bartending point of view, the great thing about Four Pillars is how people name call it and how – people are so aware of it. Even if they're not really aware of spirits generally, um, people understand and they know Four Pillars, they know the different varieties. Like It's an incredible place for It's so recognisable, their branding too. It sits alongside uh, in the gin world, the Hendrix and, yeah. yep. you know, Tanqueray, et cetera. Like it's, they've made a real name for themselves in that, that space. And Star Wars getting to that point now as well. And it's really exciting to see what Australia is doing on that, that stage. So we'll break that down a little bit Um soon but we'll go into something that we start off with every episode where i go through a very quick 60 second history of our topic which is obviously the history of australian spirits now as you well know a lot of people have forgotten the the history of spirit production in this country and think of it only in the last 30 years yes but let's try and change that today all right but i feel like i'm telling the person who taught me everything what's happened and i'm not going to do this well Mate, I think you're up for it. I think, you're up for it. <laughs> I think you've well extended your teacher, uh, especially because you just keep winning all these awards and everyone I think is is far more attracted to you than me. So, um, <laughs> so I've got the stopwatch ready if you want to. Is, is, right. that, is that the game here? Yeah, um, give me a hard time over it as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. All right. Everything. Done. Okay. Okay. Three, two, one, go. All right. When the English arrived on the shores of Sydney Harbour with a bunch of British and American convicts, they were tasked with growing wheat along the Hawkesbury River. But at that point in time, they were also trading spirit as a currency, uh, which was also called rum at the time. But it was made from whatever they had available, which is more than likely grain. It became illegal to produce spirit for a very short period of time. And then there was a few cottage distilleries uh, in the colonies, which were, were what we now know as New South Wales and Tasmania. But post-Gold Rush, we start to see a massive industrial boom in spirit production in Australia that was mostly based out of Victoria with uh, the likes of the Federal Distillery, Corio, uh, Milnes, uh, and a few others producing brandy, gin, whiskey. They all That all kind of came to a close in the 1980s due to a massive rise in the import tariff uh, sorry uh, reducing the import tariff and a rise in the excise of locally produced spirit all right all right okay and then that all kind of came to an end in the 1980s and from 1992 we have our modern industry which is 
credited to the Lark family and a few other people around Australia. And now we have this incredible industry that we're going to delve into today. Yeah. Solid, mate. Solid. Mm. Well, you're about... Uh, what, a minute 15, a minute 20? Yeah. Uh, I reckon you've nailed it. I reckon you've nailed it. Well, like I said, I'd never get this perfect, but there's so much to go into. But let's just dive straight in. Yeah, mate. Yeah, let's do it. My first question is, what was your very first experience with Australian Spirit? My first? Yeah. Jeez, I'd have to think a bit, a bit about that. I fondly or perhaps not so fondly recall uh, RTD cans as being possibly my first Introduction to Australian spirits. So let's break that down. RTD, ready to drink cans. Ready to drink cans. Yeah. And um, basically an Australian invention as well. Yes. Yeah. And the, you know, the UDLs are the originals too. They yeah. came online in the 1960s and uh, they definitely originally had Australian spirit in them. When yeah. I encountered them in probably the early 2000s, I'm not entirely sure if they still had Australian made spirit in them at that point. But it could have been neutral grain from Manildra or something like that. Could have been, yeah. I'm not so sure, but um, might have to do some some digging on that one. That's yeah. a bit of research post uh, post chat here. But um, after that, it was obviously Bundaberg. Um, yeah. Bundaberg rum, the infamous Aussie rum that uh, everyone here is familiar with. Um, but I suppose my first proper introduction to, I suppose, that you know, the, the last 30 years that you were looking at would have been Sullivan's Cove and Lark. Yeah. Uh, West Winds too. So when I started working at Whiskey and Armament, we started you know, putting those particular spirits behind the bar and pouring them out. And then we started visiting Tassie. And yeah. when we first went to Tassie, my God, um, I mean, the industry was such a was such a cottage, beautiful uh, industry to encounter at that point. And it was and so few. So few people. And, and so, you know, when we went down there, you know, we would get tours from like Bill Lark would come and pick us up and, you know, we'd go to Lark Distillery, yep. uh, we'd go to Sullivan's Cove and some of the other growing distilleries. McHenry at that point was uh, was just coming online. Belgrove, um, uh, Peter Bignall uh, and his crazy, wacky rye whiskey operation. I um, always love talking about his story. It's one of the most beautiful stories to tell people because people can relate to it. It's just this really homely country Australian story, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So those people who were producing whiskey and spirits in Tasmania at that stage were, you know, pioneers um, and, you know, incredibly humble, um, just loved the chat and loved getting people through their distilleries and, and having people find out about what they were doing and, you know, the industry has just grown uh, exponentially since then, which is fantastic. So, so yeah, um, lots to sort of think about in that last 10 years. I mean, you know, we've gone from a point where it was 20, 30 distilleries in operation only. I mean, God, when I wrote the book, it was, it was about 60 distilleries that I was looking at. So now, 2016 and now we've got, what, upwards of 400? That's it. That's yeah, it. it's just absolutely exploded in this country. Yep. And there's some really big players in the market as well. I mean, so I remember my first experience with Australian Spirit would have been Bundaberg Rum. Mm -hmm. And honestly, wasn't a favourable experience. <laughs> um, and there is great Bundaberg Rum out there, but definitely the one, the experience I had was not pleasurable. Yes. Um, but I then moved to Melbourne a few years later than that and... Yeah, I came to Whiskey and Ailman and that's where I started to experience Four Pillars, Starwood and Sullivan's Cove. I remember tasting their, their winning cask at, at that bar for yeah, surprisingly yeah. few dollars. Um, yeah, it wasn't much. No, it wasn't. And I just remember having this incredible experience with the, these these spirits from Australia and really getting excited about what we produce locally. So it's great to see how far this is this has come, especially with brandy producers as well that 
um, like St. Agnes in Renmark, which people forget has been going for, what, how many years? Well, since 1910, 1911, being one of the original distilleries and then the St. Agnes brandy brand that we sort of know today sort of dates to 1925. So, uh, yeah, they're about to turn 100 in 2025. So I'm excited for that. I'm very excited for that. And then now I'm producing whiskey as well. I'm very excited to see that come to full fruition with Richard Angove and what he's doing. Yeah, And they've got their gin as well. Yeah, Um, yeah, a great gin, organic gin, that one. Yeah, yeah, Um, called Blind Tiger, is it? That's the one, yeah. 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 So great gin. Uh, There's no sort of end to what they can achieve. No. Magnus and Angos, that's for sure. Yeah, they're absolutely kicking goals left, right and centre, which is incredible. Now, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier and and have uh, throughout this so far, but from what I understand, this uh, the Australian spirits industry is the broadest in the world in f- to the point that we are now producing almost every single spirit style that exists yep. currently, including experimental things that don't exist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to the point we're now producing an agave spirit in Australia and Amaro's absinthe now. Yep. Um, it is absolutely incredible. What do you think makes Australian spirit inherently unique if we have, we have that breadth of spirit production here. Yeah. Across the board, it's, it's something, um, I've been working with a few different authors overseas recently. Um, and I had to sort of make that point. I mean, it's a slightly scary point to make where you're saying, yeah, Australian distilleries are multi spirit producers. Um, so I've taken this up with Dave Withers from Archie Rose Distilling Co. Um, and, you know, they're probably a really great example of the modern um, multi-spirit Australian producer where yep. they literally produce and to a very high quality every style of spirit imaginable. So they've got high quality rums. They've got the best known for their gins and their whiskies. Um, and their um, distiller's cut gin that they make is sensational. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely sensational. Yeah, and we're talking like we're not just talking. These aren't side projects. Like their rums have won international awards. Their and their gins, gins have won, won best. Their yeah. whiskies, like their, their rye, is considered one of the best rye whiskies in the world. So and I and um I recently had the opportunity to select the cask of rye to be oh, bottled, yeah. which was awesome. I yeah. absolutely loved that experience yeah. that I had. Yeah, and so I guess from my perspective, we have history here. This is not yeah. necessarily a recent phenomenon. Uh, Australian distilleries have almost always been multi-spirit producers as far back as the sort of 1820s, 1830s and then post that 1860s period. Um, a lot of distilleries came online producing gin and brandy and rum um, or they dabbled in whiskey or yep. some of them whiskey was their, was their main game but they almost always produced different styles of spirits. And I, there's a few different reasons for that. You know, obviously this is not, you know, the UK or Europe where you have access to incredible brandies um, in one section of Europe. You know, you have whiskies just above that. It's easy to get those spirits um, to wherever you need them. Um, vodkas, you know, then different regional spirits as well, obviously sort of in the east um, and then further south. Um, in Australia, we're very, very far away uh, from, from everyone. And so, exact opposite end of the earth from yeah, Europe, exactly. right? And then also outside of that, we are almost the same size as Europe. Yeah, yeah. So Not in population but in sheer land mass. Yeah, absolutely. So those combination of factors plus – the reality that we actually grow heaps of different starches and sugars, which are perfect for the production of spirits. Yeah. So we've got incredible grape and fruit growing regions throughout Australia. Like incredible the green growing regions. Yeah, the et cetera. Um, 
And then different styles of, you know, I mean, fruit growers here are just blessed with different microclimates and areas that they can work with. And so when you have this abundance of natural produce, it just makes sense to then distill it up. Um, Rather than purchasing it and having it sent over from the other side of the earth. Yeah, yeah. Making it here and making it locally. And that was actually what was um, happening in that period of late 1800s through to, well, 1980s when it kind of ended for people producing spirit for the Australian market because it was also promoted for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. But it was, what, 1960s that that ended? And, yeah. well, and then ni- between 1960s and 1980s, it just fizzled out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So from the 60s, a lot of uh, basically tariff protections that have been put in place um, since the early 1900s, but specifically since the 1920s, um, which had protected the industry and kept Australian spirits quite affordable um, against imports. When they were moved in the 1960s, um, steadily some of the international companies, or by that stage most of the international companies that owned the larger distilleries here in Australia, um, either gradually sort of lost interest in what was being produced here uh, because their foreign brands could come in. Um, well, they were globally across. established, so Absolutely. they might as well promote those over the top of Absolutely. what was locally produced. You know, I don't blame them necessarily for doing that, but it's at a the same sm- time... It's a strategic business move. It yeah, is what, it is what it is. Business, right? So yeah. it was always going to uh, unfortunately shake down that way, but especially when Cario and then Gilby's here in Melbourne closed... <laughs> Uh, in the 1980s, that really signaled sort of the death knell for the industry. And it wasn't until the larks uh, came along in the early 1990s that things started to rebound and recover. Although, you know, the fascinating, uh, I suppose, aspect of that is that there was no connection between the earlier industries and then what the larks were doing in Tassie in the 90s. Um, They really had a completely separate vision that was modelled on Scottish single malt and then everything sort of developed from there. It was also modelled on trying to use local produce, trying that that craft movement, you know, Mm -hmm. small product, independent, trying to go that direction. And that's kind of where the industry has gone following that as well in the last 30 years. Yeah. Prior to the 1980s, it was all industrial, large scale for the mass consumer. Yeah. And you mentioned Cario. Cario Distillery won uh, uh, Slog Awards globally yeah. for their blends back prior to the 1960s. Yeah. So it's really great to see Australia coming back to that global stage again recently yeah, in that, that kind of realm. And same thing with our brand new industry. I'm, I'm a huge supporter and I'm about to sort of embark on a massive brandy uh, odyssey uh, where I'll be really diving into the depths of Australian brandy history. Um, you and I have been massive. talking about this recently as well with yeah. the, the history of the Ango family and, and what they're doing at St Agnes. And absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, we were enormous producers of brandy. Um, and if you go to some of the really old school established wineries in South Australia and parts of the Riverland and sort of north and sort of northeast Victoria, um, sorry, northwest Victoria, uh, you see these incredible old pot stills that were built to churn out. I mean, there was, I'm just trying to remember the exact figures, Um, but there were wineries in and around the Barossa that were producing something like 80,000 litres of spirit a week um, in terms of the various brandies they were producing. And then that was being consumed here in Australia. It was being exported. Um, And, you know, this is back at a time, especially when a hospital brandy was all the rage. So uh, London hospitals were often, or doctors there were often sort of metting out, um, 
spirit and brandy to, to people who are having various issues. There. I mean, this is also the period of time that they're, they're prescribing you with, yeah, brandy, cocaine and heroin yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> to cure what ails you. you know? um, oh, geez, if that couldn't cure it, there's probably not much that would. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, geez. And uh, look, uh, that brandy industry, you and I have been lucky enough to travel to some of these large-scale wineries, right, and they've still got the stills there, but they some of them left entirely untouched, right? Yeah. For, yeah. for many decades. And I remember going, so I went to the St. Agnes distillery to, to see it in, what, 2017? Mm-hmm. Um, just when they started making their malt spirit for whiskey production. And I remember seeing those stills. And I'd been to Australian distilleries before with yourself and, and the team at the bar we worked at and going, okay, these are the biggest stills I've ever seen. Yeah. It's Incredible. Crazy. They were yeah. enormous. And Absolutely. it was loud being in there. It, it, was, it was a factory of spirit production. It yeah. wasn't a distillery. It was a factory. It's incredible. Yeah. And that's where I think we're at now. We're trying to tell that story. Now that we do have so many distilleries here in Australia producing, um, it's about trying to match up the current scene, which, you know, often, as, as you said, is, is often small scale. scale it's craft, um, often very small distilleries, yeah. you know, cranking out five to 10,000 litres of spirit a year max. Um, and just trying to connect that history with what came before where we did have very large commercial distilleries um, that, you know, commanded a, a large percentage of the market, like, you know, brandy produced here, um, in various points over the last sort of hundred years, dominated you know would have had well over half um, the sort of brandy you know slash cognac market here in Australia um, in the early nineteen twenties and thirties. Locally made whiskey um, in places like Victoria accounted for forty percent of whiskey consumed here. Um, so you know we're nowhere near that at the moment. So no. it's a huge growth trajectory for Australian spirits to follow. And Australia's been in a very very old place where we have been this massive growth market for global whiskey, global brandy and global gin. Um, I think last time I checked, we were the ninth largest growth market in the world. Yeah, wow. Uh, for single malt whiskey specifically. Yeah. And which is an incredible stat, right? Um, yeah. And for the size of our population, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And we're consuming so much of the these premium spirits now. And while the actual percentage of liquid we're consuming is going down, the spend per per, per bottle is going up, which is mental. Yep. Absolutely incredible. But compare that to the 1920s where most of the whiskey that we were consuming was locally produced compared to what we're consuming now. So... Yeah. We're trying to invert that back again. Yeah, definitely. And I've got no doubt we're going to get there. I know. Um, and then I suppose that's where this really fascinating tension in the industry lies now where you've got, um, you know, these small-scale craft producers who are often like sort of cellar door operators as well. They, yep. they really rely on on cellar door sales and people coming to their cellar doors and, you know, experiencing what they have to offer. And bars to, to, to promote their product and yeah. all yeah. of that. And that's been all worked uh, brilliantly and you've got, and that's why we have such an incredible spread of producers right across the country now. And now I think the industry is at this point where it's starting to gear up and there are some larger players um, coming online and some of the small to medium distilleries are starting to become larger distilleries. And so, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how those two, or the, I suppose two or three segments of the market sort of progress over the next five to 10 years um, and how the regulatory environment and some other, you know, little finicky sort of technical things um, are looked at from an industry perspective because, uh, yeah, there's a lot of change coming, that's for sure. I mean, you and I have seen it where I remember when I started in the industry, there was, you had your big distilleries, which were basically at that point in time, just St. Agnes and um, Bundaberg. Yep. 
and everything else was a craft producer. Yep. No more than 100,000 litres a year. Now, to put that in perspective, so you mentioned before, a lot of these distilleries produce five to 10,000 litres a year. To put that in perspective, the smallest distillery producing whiskey in Scotland is, what, 20,000 litres a year? Yeah, for at least. The smallest. Yeah, yeah. And the smallest for us might be 1,000 litres. Yeah, yeah. If that. Yeah, we're talking not much. <laughs> but the largest for us currently in that same category, not... Uh, excluding and, and not including, so we're talking purely about single malt whiskey, would probably be what, 500,000 litres yeah, currently? Yeah, between 500 and probably one half million, two million. Like yeah. At the up, absolute upper Absolute end. most. Um, so Such a yeah. small industry. And we've only in the last 10 years gotten to a point where we've got these large-scale distilleries providing whiskey or providing spirit for the everyday consumer rather than for just here and their bottles that are, you know, $200, you know, yep. et cetera. Yeah, so we're starting to get to a point where we've got a bit of a spectrum of, of producers, which is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It's something I've written about uh, previously, which uh, sort of raised the hackles of some in the industry, but got a lot of other people really excited. Um, and that's, you know, RTDs, that's ready to drink cans and, and bottles, Um Australia is an RTD market, you know. It's, At the it's, moment, it absolutely is. And you and I have had long conversations about this yeah. over the last six years. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think the difficulty for spirits producers generally is to whether or not you enter something like RTDs um, because, you know, there's perhaps not the sort of premium um, cachet attached to, to sort of being in that space. But uh, the reality is I think as a spirits producing country, we need to get a little bit better at producing the spirits and the drinks that the majority of the population actually want to drink. Like, you know, Australians don't take a bottle of spirits to a barbecue. It's just no. not something you ever really see people do. You take a case of something or, you yeah. know, or a six, six pack, of this or a four so, yeah, pack of yeah, something. Yeah. You know, that's how it works here. Um, and so if we're if we're gonna get Australian spirits producers into the front, you know, into that front of mind sort of mainstream zone, um, then those are some of the things that gonna have to be hurdled in the next ten years. Around. I also wanna I wanna see um, and this might be a little bit politically charged in the industry, I want to see that shift back towards that larger producer and make the craft part a bit more minimal. Yeah. Yep. Because that means that the industry is doing going the right direction. And we're starting to get to that point, which is really exciting. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, we're seeing some of our favourite distilleries grow larger and larger, like Flurio in, in South Australia. Synagnus is only getting bigger. Yep. Yep. The point that I actually couldn't get their brandy recently. It, oh, it was, yeah. Yeah, it's getting hot stuff these days. Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, you've got these massive gin distilleries and really exciting things happening in all spectrums. Um, even things like, so that rum spectrum, we all are familiar with Australian rum being Bundaberg. Yeah. But rum is such a broad category in Australia and I don't think people realise how broad it actually is. Yeah, it's going to be fast. I mean, the rum market over the next five to ten years especially is, is going to explode. Yeah, and it's, as you mentioned, it's super diverse. You yeah. Know, we've got different styles uh, being produced from, you know, really traditional um, sort of agricultural styles through to, you know, more molasses-based creative styles that, have, that are coming online. Um, you know, you've got people who are literally harvesting cane from their farm. Uh, like husk um, up and, in uh, the and uh, is it, uh, the distillery, I think it's actually called Sugarcane Distillery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're in Bundaberg as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to, to define that, uh, agricultural style means they're using fresh sugarcane juice as well, not 
uh, byproduct of sugar production, which is molasses. Yeah. So they're making a lighter, brighter, more aromatic and floral style of rum. Yeah. And then you've got this really dense, sweet and slightly industrial style, which is from the molasses production, which would be your Bundabergs, your uh, uh, Beanley as well. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, in that, that category probably. And then uh, Hoochery. Yeah. Up in up Northwestern. In oh yeah. My God, yeah. So it still makes, in my opinion, one of the best rums in the country. Yeah. Their, yeah. their car strength year to year is just insane. Yeah. An insane story. Like you're talking about, you know, <laughs> the hoochery is something like 3,000 kilometers from Perth yeah. and about 800 kilometers from Darwin. So the two nearest major centers. It's, I mean, almost it's, the on the, it's almost on the exact opposite side of the country of where we are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It takes, you know, days to get there from here. Um, and yeah, you've, you've got this distillery you know, pioneered by Spike Desert, who was a was Californian-born, uh, came yep. over here. He was actually a seed and grain an, farmer. An incredible name as well. Incredible name. <laughs> um, and, you know, in the 90s, he visited a whole bunch of, you know, boutique wineries and then thought, oh, you know, we need to sort of value add to our, our farming operation. So how about I, you know, I don't know, add a winery or something like that. And then he thought about it. It was like, uh, this is a Kimberley. This is, you know, not a place. Yeah. This is very hot all year round. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be able to grow grapes here. So, um, you know, the sugarcane industry was just sort of uh, fledgling at that point, starting to take off. And so he decided to start making rum. Um, yeah. And, oh, God, the rums that they've been producing there for the last, what, 25 years are incredible. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. And it's, it's a, such a shame that um, Spike passed away a few years ago. And, yeah. But uh, his daughter took over. His daughter is, yeah. The family's uh, yeah. maintaining the distillery, and you know, sort of, um, yeah, they're taking it uh, well into the to the next phase of its journey of growth. And so, the, um, the the rum is still absolutely incredible. They're making whiskey there now as well. Yeah. They made a sorghum whiskey, which yeah. actually blew my mind. It was incredible, yeah. um, really, really exciting. Actually, on that topic, there are all these different styles of whiskey being produced, and all these different styles of spirit. Right? We've already covered that, so yep. we covered rum. Everyone is super experimental in this country on every style of spirit. Yep. Okay. So we've got different categories of rum being produced, different styles of whiskey. So different grains being used. We've got a sorghum whiskey coming from Northern Western Australia yeah. from the Kimberley. We've got uh, uh, kangaroo native Australian grain whiskeys coming from, uh, from South Australia. Yeah, yeah. And we've got the crazy, Let's be honest, crazy motherfuckers in Western Australia making quinoa whiskey, yeah, which honestly blew me away. I, it did what it said in the bottle. It tasted like quinoa, but yep. it was an incredible spirit. And then you've got people making vodka from whey from the, the production of cheese. Mm-hmm. Where do you think we can go from here? Is there any more experimentation that can, that can happen in this country? I mean, bizarrely, considering, you know, the background that you've just given there, I, I think this is just a start, really. Yeah. Um, I think people have been emboldened by some of the early projects and experiments that have, that have gone on and they're now thinking, well, you know, how much further can we take it? Um, yeah. And how do we inject, you know, specifically Australian flavors into the spirits that we're producing? So, you know, some of that you definitely touched on there um, in the use of native grains. Um, but then, you know, we're also looking at, you know, d- various distilling producers, especially of aged spirits using uh, native woods to mature yeah. their spirit in. So native eucalypts like stringy bark and red gum, um, those woods are being, you know, seasoned in various different ways to try and make the stuff, you know, friggin' palatable. Well, um, this is also a bit of a chaotic topic because... 
a lot of Native Australian timbers are quite toxic. Yes, can be, if not treated correctly. If not treated correctly. Yeah. And um, a lot of the the ones I've checked, well, I've not been injured or hurt yet from <laughs> it. So, But there, there, it is a very, very um, touchy topic at the moment in the Australian spirits industry yeah. is using these native timbers like red gum because, yeah, they can be toxic. Yeah, yeah. Do you reckon... It is something that is marketable if it is treated properly or is there going to be some regulation around using these native Australian timbers? I I think there's got to be some best practice around it. Um, yeah. The Australian Wine Research Institute, which does incredible work with the Australian wine industry and has done for a very long time, they have now done a series of tests. Um, that's mainly been uh, producer-led. So, um, so what's happened there is, you know, producers have tried various experiments and then, yeah, they've basically sent that off to the, the Wine Research Institute and a whole series of very, very complex tests has been has been done on those sort of, you know, red gum matured and spree bark matured spirits and, and whiskies. And, uh, you know, the early results have, have at the moment um, not found any major problems or toxicities that would be uh, of any issue to, well, to that, consumers. So. That is very good to hear because yeah. I've drunk a few of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're also seeing people trying to use Jarrah as well and, and all these other timbers. And I'd really like to see native Australian timber being used. But yeah, and it has been something that's been used in the past. As I well, know. So. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that Bundaberg has been maturing in red gum for a long time yeah, yeah. and Jarrah as well. That's right. But yeah. a lot of these vats were wax sealed. Yeah, some of them wax sealed or a lot of them were. Um, you know, this is, a, this is history that goes back to the, the wine and spirits industry around the first and second world wars when, but especially the second world war when French and American oak became difficult to, to sort of get into the country. And so spirits and wine producers weren't really left with much choice. If they wanted to mature or vat together any of their wines and spirits, then they had to use what was available locally. So they started using things like Jarrah um, to, you know, cooper very, very large vats and, some of them were sealed in different ways. So whether or not yeah. the flavor actually, the flavor of any of that native timber got into any of those. But uh, it exists, products. right? Yeah, um, there, I recently sure. tasted a whiskey from uh, the Backwoods Distillery, which was uh, matured in red gum. Yep. But those were all the red gum wine vats that were wax sealed, but yep. they'd been, uh, I think they were 60 year old wine vats. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not going to have any problems with no. a cast that is coopered. Uh, from that sort of point, um, yeah, they're, they're well Absolutely incredible. All the issues taken out of them. So, Seeing as we're on that topic, are there any kind of brands or companies or spirits that you think everyone should be looking out for at the moment? Yeah, how long have we got? I mean, there's <laughs> so many at the moment. Um, I suppose if we break it down a category, that might be yeah. a little bit easier. So um, let's start with Brandy. Okay, let's start with Brandy. So look, I am an enormous fan of St. Agnes. St. Agnes yeah. in Renmark in South Australia. Me uh, they've too. Been, they've been doing it for almost 100 plus years now. Yeah, we've already um, touched on who, what they are and yeah. they, they represent something so incredible for the Absolutely. Australian spirits industry. Absolutely. So one of the new producers to really look at um, is Bass and Flinders. Yeah, they're down. incredible. In Mornington Peninsula, if you're into your wines, you've, you might have heard of uh, wines from Mornington. Um Bass and Flinders is operated by by Holly Clintworth and she's now the president of the Australian Distillers Association. Exactly, yeah. She recently, um, uh, through a Churchill Fellowship, uh, studied cognac and armagnac production. Yeah. I mean, her skills, her knowledge uh, are just second to none. She has incredible um, talent and skill and the brandies that she is producing there are just next level. Very seeing much cognac as, style, lovely stuff. Seeing as we're on that topic, Bass and Flinders is actually um, – Probably one of the best gins I've ever tasted was from that distillery. Yeah. And 
it was called their winter gin. And it was a combination of spirit they made themselves, not neutral grain whatsoever. And it was pear spirit and Chardonnay grape spirit. Oh, my God. It was absolutely out of, out of this world. Yeah. And it's one of the best gins I've ever tasted. And it got me really inspired by what was happening in Australian spirits. Yeah. And, I mean, that was well before I started working at the bar we cur- uh, currently work at. And yeah. it's just really, really inspired me. It sticks in my brain, the back of my brain all the time, that that particular gin. So what Bass and Flinders have done you know, for this category is incredible. Yeah, definitely. And see, that's the thing. Like, you know, when you mention one style of spirit that, you know, I might love uh, from a particular distillery, um, other people might go, oh, but I love their gin. Or, yeah. you know, I love the whiskey that they do as well. So that's just sort of emphasizing what we're talking how about. How broad before. this like topic just, is yeah, and how yeah. broad these distilleries can be. Yeah, definitely. So... Definitely. What's so your? What's that'd your... be my hits for brandy. So if we went to somewhere like gin, I mean, God, where do you start? Gin's probably the largest spirits category in Australia right now. It um, absolutely is. In sheer volume, it is mental. Yeah. So look, we have to give a shout out to, to Never Never, um, who yep. we've sort of had uh, links to some of the Never Never crew, uh, namely Sean Baxter used to work at Whiskey and Almond back in yep. the day. Um, those guys have just gone from strength to strength. They've absolutely nailed it. Every facet of their business is just... Yeah, it's just exceptional. It's really advanced. And the flavors that they are able to inject into their broad range of, you know, gins and liqueurs, uh, you name it, uh, they are just right at the forefront of this distilling scene here at the moment. Their juniper berry Amaro was absolutely yeah, incredible, awesome. that black Amaro they made. And then their oyster shell gin was stunning yeah. as well. Their first batch of their juniper freak was just such a yep. unique thing. You know, the that. bottle of that, didn't you? I'm pretty sure. I did. Have you yeah. still got it? I think so. Oh. Yeah, I'd have, to, I'd have to have a look. Yeah. Um, oh. Missed out. I should have. Remember, we we talked. Yeah, about we it talked we about it. Um, silly. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think I might have drunk it. Oh, <laughs> man, uh, could be worth dollars in the future. We'll see. Yeah, we'll yeah. find out. <laughs> better to drink it anyway. Better, it's always better to drink it. Yeah, All right, absolutely. so we've done gin. What about rum? Rum. Well, look, I'm a huge fan of husk. Um, yeah, husk up in northeast New South Wales. Um, I mean, you can go there and get an entire understanding history of how rum is produced um yeah where it's come from in australia um they've got different, so many different styles of rum that they're producing now from the and you know 2023 is going to be a huge year for them where they're releasing a bunch of new rums that are just going to be exceptional so big full flavored you know you're getting you know the, the flavors of cane from the farm right into their products and yeah i just can't speak more highly of what they're doing i um I think that rum as a category in Australia is actually kind of only really starting to broach to the point where it's going to start to grow even further. Yeah, yep. It's going to the point where people are starting to understand that rum in Australia is not just Bundaberg. Yep. Yep. It's only starting to happen now. Yeah, and it's a hard slog. You know, I've talked to the, the Husk guys who are probably located, oh, I'd say six, seven hours south of of Bundaberg, um, uh, but, you know, very much right near Queensland Territory yeah. and Queensland Territory is Bundaberg rum territory. Um, Bundaberg and, or Beanley and that's it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, you know, th- there's challenges for rum producers uh, to sort of tell a different uh, story, a more nuanced, hopefully flavour uh, forward story yep. around the Australian rum industry. But And that's absolutely coming. There are some very big, very advanced stories coming online in the future. I mean, we've that. we've already t- touched on Hootree and their Ord River rum, which is absolutely incredible from the Kimberley. Yep. And again, it's what won one Australia's best rum many well, years in a the row. The award is now yeah, the ho- yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, they're great. Um, you've got some people uh, here in Victoria at Jimmy Rum doing some yep. really flavourful stuff. Um, and again, using oh, different ingredients from all around the country to create a suite of different styles. So 
I just like to see the 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 category of rum defined separately from other brown spirits so we can start to see proper white rums being made in Australia, proper rums being made in Australia yeah. again yeah, without having to – distillers having to dodge certain – Use weird names. Regulations yeah, and – yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is tricky. Hopefully yeah. that will get sorted uh, very, very soon. So, But you've also got Lord Byron there. Their white rum is yeah. absolutely spectacular. Great, it, it tastes like uh, Ray and Nephew, so big yeah. Jamaican white rum. Yep. You know, yep. it's, it's incredible to see that these people are all doing so many good things for the rum industry in Australia. And it's, I, I think it's one of the big growth categories in Australia at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It's really exciting. exciting. Now, next one, vodka. Anything that you're really excited by? Ooh, I'll tell you what. Uh, so, look, I was talking to him recently. Actually, we did touch on him uh, briefly. Um, so, Hartshorn vodka from mm-hmm. from Tassie, made out of whey. Um, just the most incredible so process. For people who don't know, whey is a byproduct of cheese production. It's a, a so uh, the whole curds and whey thing from cheese, and it's basically splitting milk off. It's the heavy proteins that you can then also ferment. Yep, and so the distillery there is located on the site of the cheesery that uh, the family has been involved with for a long time, and so they started making vodka out of that way. They found yep. a really unique way of fermenting some of the whey into you know sugars that they could then uh, convert into alcohol and then distill. Um, it's such an exciting process. I find it so interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so, some people find it very challenging, but yeah, but it's it doesn't. So it, when cool. you drink it, it's, it's just so just creamy and you know, it's, it's got all that lactic acid characteristic yeah, cut to yeah. it. It's so cool. Yeah, great vodka from from down there. And yeah, I mean the other other vodka producers around the country that I've been sort of interested for a while now. Bass and Flinders actually do a, a really tasty vodka. And there's this really interesting tension between vodka producers that are using sort of grapes as their base and, you know, sort of grains. So um, some other grain vodkas that are coming out of places like New South Wales from Archie Rosa. Well, they've released in recently the True Cut Vodka, which was absolutely sensational and really affordable and approachable and really flavorful as well, which is really incredible to see. And I think people forget that, Vodka is meant to be a flavored spirit, not this kind of thin, flavorless stuff that we're all kind of used to, which purely came from the 80s, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. And you know, <laughs> Archie Rose, their vodka does a great job of that, really heroing the grain. Um, yep. And comes in a cracking price as well. So, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really exciting to see. Now, finally, let's go through whiskey. Right. Geez. Now, this is a category that's also very, very close to both of our hearts. Yep. We're both very familiar with the Australian whiskey industry. Yep. Are there any producers that you think we should really be looking out for? I mean, I should probably talk about what we're tasting here, which is King Lake, one of my personal favorite new distilleries and one of our local heroes at the moment, which is uh, about an hour and a half, two hours north of Melbourne and a very young distillery, been producing what, since 2017, 2018. And... They've just absolutely nailed it from day dot. Yep. Yeah, I actually uh, pertinent because I was there uh, a few weeks ago and talking to Chantel and Sam, who are the founders of King Lake, and absolutely gorgeous location. You know, right up in the bush. Uh, uh, the visuals would be stunning for you know anyone around the world. Yeah. Really was. It really does sort of encapture. Uh, you know, the Australian bush, that's really their setting. Um, it is beautiful. And to get there is a bit of a nightmare to drive along that road. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I was in the big car and not the small car yeah. when, I, when I walked <laughs> up. Um, 
because the the road is a little bit uh, muddy and boggy. But once you sort of you know come up onto the rise where the distillery is located, um, and then you park and you see that the spring-fed lake, which is used to basically supply all of the water production needed um, throughout their yep. entire process, uh, they cut all of their whiskey back with that same water. Um, and you know we're talking about an off-grid carbon neutral distillery, so. Yeah. Um, absolutely incredible that they've managed to achieve, uh, you know, carbon neutrality in what four or five years. Um, and the whiskies that they're producing again, I mean, you know, we have our our predilections and our and our preferences and our ideas about uh, the whiskies that we love. Um, and King Lake produces very heavy, oily spirit, um, but then they allow that spirit to sing through ex bourbon cast maturation. So, um, yeah, the final package uh, across their range now is just super super flavorful spirit forward and really exciting that's for sure and we've obviously tasted a bunch of casts from them from portuguese port casts etc and we're seeing all this incredible spirit being produced by them all these great flavor profiles even though their core range spirit is bourbon cask it is very versatile and works in this whole array of spirit uh, in cast types sorry and I'm very excited by it. Uh, I recently took a single cask of theirs over to London and did a tasting on Australian spirits, and that was the hero of wow, the tasting. Wow, cool. Which is really exciting to see that this uh, Portuguese French oak port cask was the the hero from this tiny little distillery that is barely off its knees, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they're doing incredible things. Um, Any other distilleries we should look out for? Yeah, well, look, I'd love to talk about sort of mixed grain rye and corn whiskey producers in Australia. So yep. um, for, for those not aware, you know, Australian whiskey over the last 20, 30 years has been a single malt whiskey story. Yep. Very much following the Scottish tradition, majority of it pretty much in a Highlands sort of Speyside style, you know, mostly unpeated, um, then richly flavoured with local apera, which is like a sherry style wine, and port, which is basically similar to Portuguese port. Um, but the last 10 years... Yeah, things have started to, to shift and you know, yeah. you've got producers like the Gospel here in Melbourne producing some of the best rye whiskey in the whole goddamn world. You know, they yep. recently just took out an enormous accolade um, which really put them up there with some of the best rye whiskies produced out of the States, out of Europe. Um, so they're one to watch. They produce a, a really grain cereal forward straight rye whiskey, fairly traditional in maturation where they favour sort of virgin American oak. Um and then they've got these limited releases too uh, for anyone who really pays close attention to the distillery and they, you know, they yeah. sell out pretty quickly. They, now. they, to the point that sometimes I've missed out on them because yeah, they, they've yeah. released them on like a Friday and I've gotten to it on a Monday and it's gone. Yeah, definitely. So, and it's such a, it's such a incredibly, incredible thing for them. Yeah. I was chatting to Andrew last night and who's one of the owners of gospel and he's been a good friend of both you and I and same with Ben, who's the other owner. And they, they are just so passionate about what they're doing and so excited about what they're producing. It's so great to see these great people producing great spirit and they're being recognized. Yeah. And on and same on that global stage, we've had another Australian distillery in that American category win another incredible accolade, which was Whippersnapper, won world's best corn whiskey yeah. at the World Whiskey Awards in London, yeah. which is such an incredible feat. And Whippersnapper is in Eastern Perth. Yeah, basically. Yeah, right yeah. CBD there. Yeah. Yeah. And they are one of the most interesting distilleries that of the last ten years at least. Yep. They're producing some incredible spirit. Absolutely. And definitely, you know, those two producers as well, they're speaking to some of the things we've been touching on, you know, where 
Yeah, whippersnapper only use Western Australian grains yep. in the whiskies that they produce. So, and you know, they produce a whole suite of different grain whiskies, you know, from wheat. Um, and wheat is something I'd love to see Australian producers using more. You know, we're one of the largest uh, growers and exporters of wheat uh, in, the, in the whole world. So um, their wheat whiskey, I think, won uh, a similar accolade the year before. Yep. Um, so, you know, the more we get different producers exploring what's actually growing, you know, near them and locally and then injecting those flavors into their whiskies, I think the better, you know, we're going to do as a whiskey producing region. But um well, we'd have to mention some single malt producers. Uh, we can't exactly can't leave the single malt guys we, out. Yeah, we can't just touch on just King Lake. Yeah, I mean Flurio is one that I'm very excited. Yeah, well, definitely. I've been a very big, passionate supporter of. Yeah, and then any any others that you're you're really excited by? Yeah, so Flurio is great in uh, in Goolwa there, just south of Adelaide, producing a sort of a Kalila style whiskey, it's fatty sort of, and it's oily, fatty, oily, a bit briny. Yeah, points, um, super spicy, uh, absolutely exceptional. Um, and we got to go to Tasmania because yep. you know Tassie is really where so much of the current whiskey scene was sort of started. And uh, look, you you've have got to, to think mention Salvas Cove. Yeah. yeah <laughs> They're, look, they're, we love them. It's it's a tricky ride with Sullivan's Cove. Because There's a reason is, they got those awards, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And the worst the worst thing about Sullivan's Cove is their spirits only going to get better because their their head distiller Heather Heather is arguably one of the best distillers on earth. Oh right? yeah, yeah. And Easily one of the best I'm so the excited to see her spirit come to fruition. It's about four to five years old currently. Yeah. And we'll see that in what another three to five years. Yeah. So, you know, Sullivan's Cove is unique, as you sort of touched on, in that it's extensively matured in yeah. Australia, which is not necessarily common. A lot of Australian whiskeys is released between sort of two and sort of five years old. Yeah. Um, whereas most Sullivan's Cove whiskey is, re- is released at sort of 10 years old plus. And then a lot of their recent releases have sort of been, you know, sort of 13, 14, 15 years plus. Um, and they lucky. recently released that 21-year-old single cast. Yeah, I got a, which, got a taste of that, which was super good. Personally, um, second best Sullivan's Cove I've ever tasted. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, geez, they uh, big words. I actually, I was uh, chatting to Heather about this, uh, their, their blender and distiller. Uh, in London about this because I still think that their first special release, that Chardonnay cast that they released, yeah, is the best ripper. whiskey they've ever made. Yeah, that was an absolute ripper. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can't leave <laughs> Sullivan's Cove out of the story. No, you they're, can't. Uh, they're producing some exceptional stuff. I mean, the issue is just trying to get your hands on the uh, stuff. because That so and the price point. And yeah, it's expensive. Look, look but honestly, yeah. they've earned it. Yeah. That's the absolutely, point. Absolutely. Yeah. So a um, couple of others that I'd, I'd think about from sort of Tassie and maybe a bit further north. Um, I'm still a huge fan of Spring Bay whiskey. Um, Me too. Tasmania yeah. as well. Uh, a little bit similar to King Lake in that it's sort of spirit forward. Um, it's got some lovely sort of coastal accents to it. Um, but I find it very delicate and light and elegant. Yeah. Which I think was something when when we first tasted it was missing from the Australian whiskey industry. Yeah, definitely. Which and they filled that that gap brilliantly. And I guess on on that same sort of style and vein is the Cape Byron Distillery up in Byron Bay or just outside Byron yeah. Bay. Um, incredible story. So for Isla Whiskey fans, if you're an Isla Whiskey fan, you'd know about Jim McEwen. Um, Jim worked at, Bro- at Bemore initially for, for yep. decades and then was really one of the spearheads behind the revival of Brook Laddie Distillery. And so Jim met uh, Eddie Brook um, in, well, I think it was about 2015. And yep. then... 
they decided eventually, um, coming off the the crazy sort of rock star whiskey tour that Jim did here in Australia, to to found a distillery together. They released an incredible gin, uh, Brookie's Gin, and then only last year they put out their first single malt whiskey. So matured next bourbon cask. It's tropical. It's fruity, and um, it's it it does have that. It's got that kind of Australian fingerprint, which is big malt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And lots of tropical fruit. Yeah. Which is pretty synonymous with all Australian single malt whiskey. Yeah, definitely. But this one has just this touch of elegance, which I think adding that that master distiller from the UK into it just kind of really helps. Yeah, and I think, you know, just allowing the spirit to breathe and shine through a little bit yeah. more, which is very much a Scottish that is the Scottish way of doing yeah. things, whereas the Australian way has often been to sort of let the cask speak a mm-hmm. little bit more. And there's, you know, again, this is stuff that we argue about at, you know, one in the morning. Um, <laughs> what way is preferable? You know, what what as con- what do consumers prefer? What are, you know, what are the... Look, it's the arguable, right? Um, uh, and also, like, the Australian palate is wide, widely different to the, the global palate. So uh, we're so used to having these big, bold flavours with our big wines and, yep. you know, Barossa Shiraz, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're used to real light... Beers and really big wines. Yeah, yeah, it's really bizarre, isn't it? It is. Like, and pours. so we don't want a lot of grain character. We want a lot of wine character. Yeah. And so Australian whiskey is going to follow that direction, which is really interesting to see. But we're starting to reel that back, and it's really exciting to see people like King Lake and Cape Byron letting the spirit speak, and Spring Bay as well, letting the spirit really hold that place. Uh, Flurio is another one of those that lets the spirit talk but yep. it still gives you a little bit of that Australian wine character. Yeah, yeah definitely. And for, you know, a little bit of that Australian wine character as well, we'd have to mention Overeem, who uh, a good friend of ours, Claire Harmon, yeah. uh, is now one of the distillers and blenders down there. Um, Overeem is like classic Tasmanian-style whiskey. Um, it's big grain, big wine. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's finesse, it's, it's, it's polished, it's incredibly well put together, well-selected, uh, well-aged. It's given time to sort of, I think, find its find its peak uh, yeah. across each cast that they release. So, uh, yeah, again, just a crack and whiskey coming out of Tassie from over. Absolutely. Now, are there any bars or places you would go to around Australia to really experience Australian spirit? Yeah, so, like, one of the, f- the founding bars of sort of the Australian spirits movement was definitely Bad Frankie, um, yeah. who a very good friend of mine and ours, uh, Seb Costello, found it. Um, so Bad Frankie's doing great things, huge collection of Australian spirits, uh, you know, all the sort of styles and flavours that we've been talking about today, you can find it at that bar. If you want to taste brandy, gin, vodka, whiskey, rum, go to Bad Frankie's. Yeah. That's basically Absolutely. It. Yeah, a cool cocktail program too where they sort of put different native flavours and styles uh, into a lot of the cocktails they produced as well. So yeah, yeah great bar. And it's in what it's uh, just off Smith Street in Collingwood. Yeah, awesome and circuit around there. You've got yeah, above board just across the road, which is one of the best cocktail bars in the country, if not this entire part of the world. Um, it's actually one, it, it, it's been in the top fifty bars in the yeah, world yeah. in the past. Um, and then you've got Black Pearl a couple of blocks away yeah. as well, which is also in that same category and same vein. So it's a definitely pre, a precinct of Melbourne to go to yeah. if you want to go and enjoy. Just good booze. But yeah. if you want to go and enjoy good Australian spirit, go to Bad Frankie's. Yeah, Bad Frankie's a spot. And then, you know, beyond that, um, another great development in the Australian spirit scene has just been Australian distilleries 
basically opening up their own distillery bars, which are sort of next level in terms of service, um, in terms of quality of the offering. Um, Archie Rose in Sydney. I mean, if you're coming off, if you're landing in Sydney and you're coming off the plane, you're leaving the airport, the Archie Rose distillery and bar at Rosebury is probably like five, 10 minutes away from the airport. Um, Yeah. Get in in a taxi or an Uber or whatever and get in that car and go that five minute drive to I've done that many times. Yep. Just go straight from the airport to the bar. Yeah, great spot to go to. And then, you know, if you're ever down in Hobart and Tassie, you want to get to know the Lark story. So one yep. of the best places to do that is the Still, um, a recently opened bar down there and exceptional collection of Tasmanian whiskies. Uh, probably rival anything that's available uh, around the country at the moment. Also, also you've got the Evolve Bar at the Mac yeah, One and Gold yep. Bar in Hobart oh, as well. Bar. I have to give a shout out to um, the Gold Bar and Ian. He's, uh, he's a legend. He founded that uh, beautiful bar oh, probably about five, six years ago. I'd yeah. Say, maybe even longer. I think um, it's, it's not been that long, yeah. but yeah, he's he's been... Going from strength to strength, which is great to yeah. see. Yeah, and a great proponent of strange in styles, um, Australian whiskies, and you know various cocktails as well. He's, he's a master at throwing those. Uh, so. You've also got these big distilleries like Starwood. They've got their bar that you can go and enjoy their spirit right next to their stills. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'd have to mention Seventy Eight Degrees Distillery, exactly. North Adelaide as well. Now this lot one hundred, lot one hundred, where they're based, the Seventy Eight Degrees Distillery. You can literally try every style of booze, uh, pretty much. Uh, made anywhere in the including world, including experimental stuff like uh, uh, whiskey made from uh, day old croissants. Yeah, yeah stuff <laughs> like that. So through to the you know the really sort of traditional uh, gin styles that they make, uh, through to the really zany experimental stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, through to native grain whiskeys. Exactly, that we've talked about before. Um, but I think the exceptional place about that particular. Um, yeah, distillery cellar door is that it really has everything and everything is is made by the people uh, there um, from wine, cider, um, you know, gin, beer, whiskey, Amaro's, yeah, any, any type of liqueur, everything. Vermouth. Yeah, um, their incredible. vermouths are incredible using the local wines and local uh, botanicals as well. So yeah. absolutely incredible place. You've also got uh, the distillery bar at Port Tom's in Marrickville in Sydney, yeah, uh, which is a ripper. great place, great cocktails there. Um, distillery bars are really coming up in Australia, which is really exciting. Definitely. They're the place to go. Yep, absolutely. Now, we're going to finish up with four final questions. All right, let's do it. They are rapid fire. Okay. I want your quick answer. Oh, jeez, okay. Let me take a swig of whiskey. Please do. <laughs> that will help. All right. Okay. Now. What was the first drink you ever had? Tui's Extra Dry Beer. Tui's Extra Dry. Awful stuff. Such a New South Wales thing. Very New South Wales. <laughs> yeah. My New South Walesness is shining through. Yeah. Um, okay. What do you normally drink when you finish work? Beer. Beer? Normally followed by whiskey. Actively paired together or? Uh, depending on the stress and intensity of the shift. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> now... Often called the bartender's handshake, Fernet Brunker. Do you actually enjoy it or do you just tell people you do? I know I do enjoy it when the occasion's right, but yeah. it's not a go-to for me. No. See, I love it personally, but I can completely understand. So many people absolutely hate this yeah. stuff. I'm actually a big fan of it with Coke. Like, yeah. Um, it's, it's incredible, right? Yeah. Fernet and Coke. It's, it's one of the best flavor combinations you'll ever find. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. If that's uh, so final question, but leading from that, if so, what is your shot of choice? For a long time, it was 
Glenfiddich or Ardbeg. Yeah. Like Glenfiddich 12 or especially, like I know it sounds ridiculous and I don't know if Ardbeg Distillery would be happy with me saying this, but yeah. like Ardbeg 10, one of the best shots. It's a killer shot. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely not for everyone, but fuck, you know you're alive after you've had an Ardbeg 10 shot. Absolutely. It definitely gets you through a really hard shift. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me today and exploring this incredible country spirit. Mate, absolutely huge pleasure and honour to be talking with you today. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Always. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Spirited Discussions. I hope you had as much fun as I have and have been able to take away something you didn't know. Don't forget to like, subscribe and share with your friends. And please join me next time on Spirited Discussions. Spirited Discussions.